0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco.
1: Baking along with me today is Katie Fang, a great legal mind, trial lawyer and MSNBC host and contributor. Katie and I bake a citrus cake, you know, the kind you can throw together at the last minute, you know, if you say, like, you forget to bring something to a holiday potluck and you have to bake something at the last minute. Anyway, Katie also gives us a breaking scoop, my first breaking scoop here on the Secret Life of Cookies, and it's a breaking scoop about Roger Stone's defense strategy. We also are going to discuss the major trials of the last month. And you're not imagining it because there have been a lot of high-profile trials this month. We also talk about how the Fifth Amendment can work for and against the Mark Meadows of the world. And Katie explains what black robe-itis is and why we all must get involved in voting on the local level to ensure fair judges in our community. But also there's cake, lots of cake. We talk cake baking tips as well because you know what? We believe in balance, you know, like the scales of justice. Hello to Katie Fong, legal analyst, fantastic MSNBC contributor, uh, also on the Peacock Network, which really is MSNBC. But I thank you for coming to the secret life of cookies in this most wonderful time of the year. Agreed.
0: Maybe not so wonderful in my kitchen because I'm not a very good baker or chef, but I have endeavored to bake today and to hang out with you, which frankly... (laughs) is the best way to hang out on a Thursday. I don't ever get a chance to do this. So this is like everything and then some. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. If anybody is going to find out that Katie Fang is baking, they're going to like go <laughs> with their ears and like, what? What's going on? So,
1: <laughs> Well, I'm very glad that Katie Fang is here and baking. And I have complete and utter faith in you, even though you did um, admit to some possible nervousness about this.
0: Oh, I got a lot of nerves, but at least you have faith because my husband, my seven-year-old and my dog do not. So (laughs) I told them that you're the professional and that you would know much better. But I have, like I said, I got the ingredients. I've endeavored to prepare and I am ready, willing and able.
1: Today we are going to make what I call a St. Clement's cake. Did you see? I pronounced all my T's nicely instead of sounding like i'm from new jersey saint clement's cake as in oranges and lemons say the bells of saint clement oh
0: uh, i did not know that was the genesis or the what is it the ed, is it the etymology the etymology yes. of the word or whatever um,
1: Yeah, unless there're bugs in it in which case it's the entomology
0: uh, i'm looking oranges, for bugs i don't see bugs no no I think no we're bugs, okay no so <laughs>
1: Oranges and lemons say the bells of St. Clemens is the um, nursery rhyme, the British nursery rhyme. And it talks about the bells of London. So they're the bells of St. Clemens and the bells of Vogue Church and everything like that. If you go on with the fairy tale. But we can talk about that later. And Marissa talks about fairy tales into her whisk, using it as a microphone. Um, and since this is a podcast, you can't actually see that I'm doing that. Anyway, we are making a cake, a very easy cake, a butter cake that's enriched with sour cream or yogurt, depending on what you're doing, and flavored with orange and, yes, lemon. And I feel completely confident in you because you knew the word mise en place thanks to the Great British Baking Show.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. so So I'm going to channel. I'm going to channel my Paul Hollywood, my inner (laughs) Paul Hollywood now. And I'm going to hopefully not, my husband said, don't burn the condo down when he left. So hopefully I have good insurance. I'm insured. That's all
1: we care about today. And you're not going to burn the kitchen down making a small, delicious butter cake. In fact, you may impress everybody, including your neighbors. Before we dive deep into the world of law, and it seems to me like this past, I don't know, couple of months has seemed like it's been nonstop trials going on. Is that me? I think it, I, no, 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 no.
0: You're right. But I also think that, um, listen, I've been a lawyer now for 20 something years. And I also feel like, I mean, we've always been around. <laughs> lawyers. We've always been around. Yeah. But I also feel like the public has become more aware about our judicial system. I mean, you know, sadly, not sadly, I mean, we, I always tell clients and I'll admit like l- lawyers for most intents and purposes are cost centers. So we're definitely not the most desirable people you want to, Want to have, but you always need us one way or another, Um, and and hopefully you don't need us for criminal reasons. But um, you know, listen, a lot of people go through the world and they don't actually ever have to go to court, right? They don't actually have to deal with the judicial system, excluding or accepting maybe the occasional parking ticket or moving violation. But I feel like people are now becoming so much more aware that there is a place for people to go to find recourse. What's really been upsetting, though, is how slowly. The wheels of justice have been turning lately, justice being defined, whatever you want it to be. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, but, you know, it takes a long time to get somewhere. And I think that people are getting very frustrated with our judicial system. And I think that people are also simultaneously becoming so much more educated about what we do as lawyers, what our judges do. And I think just from a democracy standpoint, I think people are starting to figure out, you know what? What? Yes, the president of the United States, it's a very important office. But you know what? That judge that's sitting on that bench that got put there by Mitch McConnell or even someone else, right? That judge is just as important, if not more important, as we're seeing, which is why going to vote to put people in the positions where they put judges on the bench, where they nominate judges. And even locally in your backyard, you should vote, right? You should even vote in the the down-ballot elections that are happening midterms and otherwise, because these people have a direct effect on you in your community. So I do think that that's becoming a little bit, that's a cool kind of byproduct of what's been going on. Does that make sense? It makes complete
1: sense to me. Um, I feel like there's been so much, certain parts of the population in my community of like-minded people in my little bubble have a lot of anxiety about the pace at which things are going, but I think something is happening that maybe, maybe possibly lawyers are getting a little bit of a better name for themselves.
0: What's that, <laughs> what is that Shakespeare quote? It's like the first thing we do is kill all the lawyers or whatever. I mean, that's what the quote was, right? From Shakespeare. Right.
1: And, and then the punchline is, why did the shark not eat the lawyer? Because professional courtesy. Professional
0: courtesy. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but there are there are there are some of us that are good. And you know, we are all not the Sydney pals of the world who I am happy to see though are getting sanctioned and punished. I mean, I did a interview with or in conversation with dot dot dot, a good friend of mine, Preet Bharara, And we were talking about how the Bars of the states; it's the judges, right, that are actually sanctioning improper, unethical conduct. Because let's be frank: I mean, you can pro se yourself, you can represent yourself in court, but ninety-nine percent of the time, you're going to get a lawyer. And you—it's almost like I equate it to ammunition and a gun. Mm-hmm. There may be ammunition, but if you don't have the gun, how does that ammunition get deployed? Bow and arrow, whatever you know you want to look at. And we have responsibilities as lawyers ethical responsibilities that are not just, just as human beings, but we also have ethical responsibilities as lawyers barred in certain states. That's the only way we can get licenses. We have to have certain basic competency, but then you also have to have ethical um, standards. And I'm glad to see that when lawyers are not doing the right thing, when they're allowing or giving access as a vehicle to the judicial system for clients and parties that are perpetrating lies. And trying to make them seem official and try to formalize the lies that they're getting sanctioned. Because that has to happen. You have to have a punitive component to the system. If not, then it's going to go to hell a lot faster than perhaps the party
1: is. (laughs) is. I feel that we are witness to this sort of show, especially in the the circus that surrounded Donald Trump of people like Sidney Powell and John Eastman, who sort of making stuff up as they go along because they can. And so it's nice to actually see Sidney Powell getting sanctioned in some way.
0: Yeah, but Um, then you also see, though, people like, you mentioned John Eastman, and I think of somebody like John Eastman, I think of Jeffrey Clark, right? And I can't even open my egg container. Um, And I I look at them, can you imagine if we don't bake this cake together because I can't (laughs) open the eggs of all the stuff that would happen? so
1: people know it's one of those double-layer plastic containers, and they are really impossible to open. And you always feel like you're going to smash the eggs as you smush it open.
0: So this is so normally I get the the oh there you go these she are free range eggs. They're beautiful. We love our hens. You'll mm. love our eggs. You know, what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to have chickens. I should talk to Joyce Vance about that, right? I've always wanted Absolutely. to have chickens that lay eggs because I want the ones that look like um. Easter eggs that are like the yeah. blue and like whatever, like the Martha Stewart chickens. Martha Stewart chickens, Araucana or whatever they're
1: called. I, alas, not Martha Stewart and her chickens. And oh, you I don't know have what? Her, her capacity. You, you don't want to be Martha Stewart and you don't want to be your chickens. I think Katie Fang is just great, just the way she is. Um, no yes. need to ri- rise to, well, try to rise to those levels. We're not there anymore. That's what, thank God. Mm. Um, it's much more, I, I, I'm like, of feel like the anti Martha Stewart. I'm like, just do it. You can cook it. Yeah, sure. Substitute this, whatever you're going to make it. Let's just take a, a pause. I want to get back to the subject of lawyers getting their, their day in court as it were, um, mm. and talk, talk about the department of justice. But for right now, I want to take a, a little break and I have creamed my butter and my sugar in my large KitchenAid mixer. Would you like to cream your butter and your sugar so we can start? Creaming the butter yes. and sugar is we have a cup of sugar, a cup of sugar here and a stick of butter. Very simple. Butter's at room temperature. And she's about to start her mixer. Let's see. She's smooshing I'm it out.
0: I'm smooshing it just to get it mixed so it doesn't fly everywhere. <laughs> see she is is supposed to... practically
1: professional. Just cream
0: it at like just like, cream it start. out katie actually asked the
1: question but it doesn't look like cream yet and creaming is really just a question of not making it look like cream but smushing it all together and aerating it and to add lightness and structure to your cake oh that okay, what do we think beautiful. better <laughs> beautiful
0: beautiful Ready. scraped it the bowl and now do i have to add the egg yes now But only for a short period of time, though, apparently.
1: That's correct. And you take it out of the shell. And then we're going to add the flour to the mixture. The flour, it's not just white flour, though. We have white flour and we have almond flour. And yes, you can substitute white flour for all of it. But the almond flour makes it super tender.
0: Never used almond flour before. Today's the first time I've ever used almond flour. I make
1: almond flour brownies too, which you should maybe make next if you like chocolate. And they take about four minutes to make. They're flourless and they're intensely chocolate, which is great. I use it all the time because it makes things moist and tender and in cookies, often chewy. Katie and I are now at the stage where we're ladling our batter into our pan. Katie's using a square glass pan and I am using a darker, round, um, cake pan that you might make a layer cake in. And I told Katie, if she's using this glass pan to turn the oven down by about 25 degrees, because glass conducts the heat much faster and always feel like if you're doing a recipe and you're like, look in the oven, you're like, Oh my God, I think it's going to turn Brown before it's done. Either put a piece of aluminum foil on it and turn the temperature down, take it to 325 and just let it slow cook a little bit don't be a slave to your recipes know what you know
0: so yeah so like a good bartender I might have like had a heavy pour on like my (laughs) zest my zest and stuff like that right like (laughs) I might have like been a little bit generous on like the zest and things like that
1: and I agree I
0: I would love to find a good organic citrus oil it's hard to find I would use that instead of an extract if I had it, but I did not, alas, I right. did
1: not. So. And if you have oils, you use less of the oil than the extract because they're so much more potent.
0: Although in my opinion, I don't think anything could be too citrusy. I'm like that person. I'm like the Sour Patch Girl person, right? <laughs> I, well, the batter I still tastes good, If something happens to me from the raw egg. I'll tell everyone you are. It was all, it was all <laughs> informed consent. Okay, so now I just put it in the oven at that 350. Okay, put Mm -hmm. it in the oven. Middle rack, right? Middle rack, always, perfect. Okay, done. Light on. And then how long are we baking it for? Turn the light off? Yeah, because it
1: makes it warmer in your oven. You can proof bread by just turning the light on in your oven to make a warm space.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Wait, light off. Well, that was amazing. So that was like the hardest part, right? Because now like, all we have to do is the frosting now or later. When do we do frosting?
1: We do frosting later. You don't have to do it now. You may even have to do it on your own. But let me just say, so folks, thanks for helping us out here, listening as we were making um, our St. Clement's cake. They are now in the oven. I would say maybe it took about... Five minutes total to make that. When you have everything measured out, that's why you measure things out. Bing, bang, bong, you're done. You have a delicious cake soon to be coming out of your oven. Great for last minute guests. No, shut, I'm just gonna shut up. So let's go back to the topic that we were going on about, which was, which we started talking about, which was the seeming increase in public trials and the importance of voting Down ballot and voting, making sure that you know. And I don't think a lot of people know this. And I think this would be a great action campaign for all of us is to let people know that they're responsible for a lot of their local judges.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of different in each state. So I want to kind of, you know, that's the preface, right, to this conversation. But a lot of people just kind of think that kind of like Aphrodite coming out of the ocean and like the clamshell oh, yes. that like your local judge or whatever, you know, just shows up one day on the bench and that is not the case. So in Florida, we're a little funky. Um, you have two ways of becoming a judge in Florida. One is uber political. I'm talking like next level political, which is you get appointed by the governor, which right now we have a governor that's like, trying to kill us right now in Florida, but. um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a little kiss the ring that has to happen, right? If you're getting appointed by the governor. That is not to say that the judges that are appointed by the governor are not qualified. But there is, like I said, there's a little bit of a politicization of the process because it's an appointment process. Now, even if you're appointed by the governor in Florida, you still have to run to defend your seat the next time it's up. We have six-year terms. So let's say you became appointed or you ran for judge because you can run to be a judge and it's a countywide race. So in a county like Miami-Dade County, which is very large, um, and I don't even know the number of of, of residents we have. It's definitely a lot. You would be a judge for six years. Now it's a nonpartisan race. So nobody votes for you because you're a Republican judge or a Democrat judge. And ostensibly it should be, you're not an activist judge. On either side, right? You should just be a non-activist judge. You should apply the law fairly. You should not try to imbue or infuse your personal opinions or beliefs on issues into your rulings. You have to follow the law. Like,
1: Does that but, happen a
0: lot, Katie? <laughs> I mean, you know what, Marissa, here's the here's the honest truth. We ask our jurors as well, right? To be mm-hmm. fair and impartial. We ask our jurors to abandon and leave their preconceived notions, their prejudices, their biases at the door when they enter into a courtroom to sit in service. But as a human, isn't that hard? As a human, how do you set aside your preconceived notions about things? And so, I mean, I could just spend hours talking about what I think are the dishonesty inherent when it comes to our jury selection process, that we request that total strangers tell us the truth. I mean, you know, how Mm -hmm. many people in in a courtroom, if you ask them if they had a a dislike for a certain race or culture, religion or gender are going to stand up and say, absolutely, I can't stand X, Y, Z kind of people. First of all, they would be like stoned to death, right? right. Um, but but like they're not going to do that. And so we have to have some faith in the system. And so what are the stop gaps? Well, if you have a dishonest juror, for example, you should have an honest prosecutor or an honest plaintiff attorney or an honest criminal defense lawyer. But then ultimately, who is the gatekeeper in that courtroom? It's the judge. So you could have the most ethical of counsel on both sides. You could have the best jurors humanly possible that are legitimately and honestly leaving their preconceived notions aside. But if you have a judge that's not going to do the same thing and not going to do his or her job, you got a serious problem, like a serious problem. And that's why when we hear during the process of like the Supreme Court, for example, And we hear people say, Kavanaugh and otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to apply the law. I'm going to respect precedent. I'm not going to try to disrupt precedent, et cetera, et cetera. And now we have that Dobbs case that was just heard, right? In the Supreme Court. Scarily, we think that there may be a serious run now at Roe v. Wade not being the established precedent in the United States. So it's a very kind of interesting... Way to look at it, but people need to realize that you have so much power. I don't think people understand how much power they have in the ballot box. They don't. Like, you could, enough of you caring enough about the outcome of an election as a group. I mean, it's the power of one vote, but the power of the group collective, right? So, if we all collectively, and I'm not talking like, you know, zombie group I'm talking we all believe in a certain candidate and what he or she stands for, we got to do something about it. And that means you got to go and vote and you can't say, Oh my God, I'm tired. I worked so long today. I don't feel like going and standing in line. We can't do that. We got to get out and do stuff.
1: And it's, it really is going to affect you. I think the thing I realized is it's going to affect you on your city and county level in a way that you never think that you can affect
0: county level politics typically. A lot of people don't care too sometimes I think too, right? They're like, "Oh, right. that's my mayor. Oh, that's my commissioner. Oh, they're doing that decision." Oh, I may complain about it at the dinner table or with my neighbors, but a lot of people just say, "I guess that's just what it is." A lot of people just focus so heavily on the national and the statewide, you know, kind of elections, but there's still important things that are happening right in your backyard as we speak.
1: And you know, the thing that stood out to me was the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case had run for his seat unopposed like six times. Oh, don't even get this started.
0: So, you know, we only got a snapshot into that judge's world, right? In that Mm -hmm. one case. He apparently, though, has presided over other high-profile cases, but I guess they were high-profile, relatively speaking, in the community or in that region. But what does it say that nobody has ever run against him is it just because he was always the incumbent and they were fearful of running against the incumbent? And that's the other thing, you know, to be a judge, you have to be a lawyer. You can't just be a lay person being a judge. So if I'm a lawyer and I want to run against an incumbent, that's kind of intimidating, right? What if I have cases in front of this person? Now, normally exactly recusal would happen, right? If I'm running against that judge in the Rittenhouse case, I'm not going to have cases in front of him, right? Because I'm running against him as a political opponent, but. He's been on the bench for a while. He's got a lot of friends, you know. I mean, there's just there's a lot going on there. And I do think, though, putting aside your personal opinion on the outcome of the Rittenhouse trial, which I I personally was dissatisfied, obviously, with the outcome. What's most upsetting to me, though, is the public's perception now of the judiciary because of that. And I don't really give a you know what that it's okay to have in his mind to have the defendant. Um, you know, pick the names of the alternates that get excused out of a bingo container. You know, I mean, I think as a judge, you also have to be mindful about what the perception is. You cannot appear to be biased. Um, There's called actual, you know, impropriety or perceived impropriety, same concept. I would never want as a judge for somebody to even have some perception, even if it's not real, that I'm favoring one side over another. But
1: if you've been in uh, elected six times, you begin to think that you're like, it, you're not touched by the average thoughts, right? You know, you're yeah. above
0: it all, really. That, yeah, that you're that you are better than the average show and that something, you know, that you're impervious to being challenged because I don't know, what are you God? I mean, some judges do have that, right? Some judges have a God complex. Mm-hmm. We call it black robe itis. Black We We do say that some people, some people have a change in their personality when they don a black robe, because now they are the most important person in that courtroom. And in that courtroom, people's liberty is decided. And in that Mm -hmm. courtroom, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's at play. And so I think people really need to think, gosh, I never maybe really thought about the fact that I could have a hand in who's the next judge, you know, in my county or whatever.
1: That's going to be my um, cause starting in the next election cycle, because I don't think enough people know about it. I don't think we feel invested enough in it, and we have to. I don't think we feel capable of affecting it, and we can. I think that's my point. Speaking of being able to affect things, if I become your fairy godmother, okay, and I say to you, Katie, I'm going to let you become the Olivia Pope of the Department of Justice. And Ugh. you
0: have you, you have mentioned one of my favorite favorite TV characters of all time, Marissa. Right? Did you, bug, so, did you bug my home? Have you been listening on my conversations? That's amazing.
1: It's totally legal. I got a warrant. So you get to be the Olivia Pope of the Department of Justice. My bias is that the Department of Justice currently is leaving a lot of us, and I talk as an average citizen. A little in the lurch we all many of us like I say in my little bubble here want there to be action and we've mm. all been told we have to be patient
0: mm. but
1: is there something
0: like like a kid it's like a kid it's a very good very good way of looking at it because it's Christmas we're like kids on Christmas day right that's that's exactly like
1: do I have to be patient and good and then Santa will come or could yeah, someone coal. Sand like,
0: coal? Santa's going to bring right. coal to a lot of people. Well,
1: that's um, what I worry. I worry we're going to get coal. Is there something the Department of Justice could do that you would do if you were um,
0: helping them out? At the, at the to... DOJ? So, so, you know what, actually, it, it, the timing of your question, I think is fantastic for the following reason. Because we just talked about the appearance of impropriety. We just talked about the idea that people get maybe the misperception that there's some favoritism one way or another, right? This is why it's hard to be Merrick Garland. Now, it is not the world's smallest violin playing for Merrick Garland, but (laughs) it's tough. Number one, Merrick Garland is the putative head of this agency, right? It ain't like Merrick Garland's trying these cases himself. But of course, he is the final arbiter, the decision maker on this stuff. But as a prosecutor, which I was a prosecutor in two different jurisdictions for several years here in South Florida, I did not do press conferences about my cases, right? I didn't talk about even major cases that I handled and I handled some pretty major cases because I didn't want to be previewing my evidence. I didn't want the public to know and I didn't want to be accused of potentially tainting a jury pool that might be sitting in judgment. I did see somebody who said the other day, Marissa, that it would be nice to kind of almost have like, hey, we're just checking in, letting you know what's going on. But that's the same stuff. It's the same thing. You can't comment on open and pending investigations in cases. You can't say, look, we're getting really close to dining X, Y, Z, right? right um, now, now, some officials, we see a little bit more chatty Cathy's, right? <laughs> and that's nice because with the chatty Cathy's, we then feel like, oh, maybe justice is upon us, right? And you know what I think too? I think in looking back to the benefit of hindsight being twenty twenty. I think we got a little bit kind of um, let down with the Mueller investigation. I think so. I think the Mueller investigation, we were like, okay, we're going to trust the process. Okay, yeah. like we know that this process is happening and Mueller keeps everything so close to the vest. And there's yeah. just going to be this like, uh-huh. you know, like fire yeah. alarm, fire, you know, thing that's going to go off. And we're going to see like, you know, people spontaneously combusting in Capitol Hill and all this other gonna- stuff. Right, and you know? we were all raring for it because we were all it felt like we'd held our breath for like
1: three and a half years or whatever with Donald Trump in office,
0: and then we get like <laughs> wah, wah. Wah. sad Trump. You know, and we're like, yeah. we're like, what is that? Like, what? Like, what? Like, what? like really? Like, I waited this whole time for that. So I think right. people are saying to themselves now, I don't want that. It's almost like. The, it's not even just immediate gratification. They're like, I don't want to be let down that way. Like, I don't. I want to know. I want to be prepared. But like, for example, even like before we even started, you and I talked about the fact that leticia James, who's like a badass, right, New York yeah. AG. Yes. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to take his deposition, Donald Trump, and we're going to do it January seventh, which is like mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. Girl, if you don't think that they're going to file a motion for a protective order to. I mean, and that shit—that part of my French. Sorry, Grant. That's <laughs> not going to be heard. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know where the date January 7th came from. So 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 let's let me let me take a hot second to show how sausage is made. OK, OK. January 7th announced by Letitia James. I don't think she coordinated it with the other side because it ain't like they're going to stipulate. <laughs> maybe maybe he will. Because remember, Donald Trump now can't hide from these things by saying I'm the president of the United mm. States. That that's really too respectful a way that the man talks. But he can't say I'm the president of the United States and I don't have time to sit. I am too busy playing golf to come and sit for your depot, right? So he can't say that. Can't say that. But I think you and I both know he's not, he didn't agree to that date. So in theory, I'm going to think she unilaterally selected January 7th. She did depress her. She announced it. It's going to put a lot of public pressure, right, on this to happen. But he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care. So he's going to have his lawyers file you know, motions for protective order, and they're either going to be set on an expedited basis or not. The holidays are upon us, right? Okay. It ain't going to happen January 7th. So people need to understand he's not going to sit for a depot on the 7th. And if he does sit for a depot, because the trial court judge says, or somebody says, you have to sit for a depot, Mr. Trump, then he's going to appeal it. And then he's just going to keep on going and going and going and going and going. And that's Which the problem, is- right? That's what we talked about that's the way he does stuff
1: anyway. Right. I don't think he's ever said, yes, exactly. I'll follow exactly. I'll do whatever you want me to do to any lawsuit that was ever brought to him. And
0: he's had a lot of lawsuits brought to him. Oh, he's, he <laughs> has had, does, you know, right. a lot, a, a lot, lot
1: of um, so I'm not going to hold my breath for this, for him to yeah. show up in Letitia James's, um, Yeah.
0: No, but you know what? Give that woman mad props for going Mm -hmm, for it, right? mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm, give that mm -hmm. woman mad props that she cares enough about what justice has to look like um, this day and age, right? Yeah.
1: So, I I raise a a glass of almost made glaze to her. This cake is for Uh, Letitia James. That's what I
0: say. Amen. And you know what? I just... So carefully squeezed my lemon, my fresh lemon mm. for my lemon juice for the frosting. And of course, I dropped the seed in my frosting. Of course, that's why I have a fork right here,
1: because I used a little fork to fish all the little seeds that I meant not to drop in that dropped in. I also mm. have two cuts on my finger and I've been squeezing <laughs> lemon. And the fact that I haven't squealed only shows what a professional I am. So, I am keeping in good company, apparently. So speaking if- of people who, who like to dodge justice, we've also, um, us nervous folks at home have been watching what's been going on with the 1-6 commission because apparently they, there was like this attempt to overthrow like democracy earlier in the oh, year.
0: depends on who you <laughs> talk <want> to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we have folks like Mr. Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows and uh, my, one of my favorite people, Roger Stone, um uh, Who have all been like taking various paths to avoiding talking to the one six commission? I
0: want to know. Kind of makes you well, wonder. What do you? Why? Why are you not talking why, to us? Why, right. Why aren't you um, talking to us? We're nice people. Don't you want to tell us everything you know?
1: Exactly. So do I have to help me understand the various strategies that these people take? Like Mark Meadows, I get. Mark Meadows has a book out. So one week he said is going to have a book out. So one week he says, hey. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And he makes the news. And then the next week he says, oh, no, 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 I'm actually going to plead the fifth.
0: Oh, well, he gets lots Meadows, of news. Meadows has done some really focaccia stuff, right? Because Meadows did a book, claimed executive privilege. Then he's like, oh, wait, I'm not really claiming executive privilege because now not only am I not going to talk to you people, but I'm going to sue you. So you want to talk about people not liking our judicial system, mm-hmm. he's suing members of the select committee, because he thinks that a executive privilege, you know, works and B he's really upset about the fact that a subpoena has been sent to Verizon for his phone records But this funny little man, Mark Meadows seems to have conveniently forgotten. And by the way, I'm looking for another whisk. I know I had more than one. He seems to have forgotten that he voluntarily turned over some documents and he won't even answer questions about those documents he voluntarily turned over. So he sued now. And Mm -hmm. that's going to have to wind its way through the system. So what is he doing? He's just buying himself time again. Once again, people running to the system to buy themselves time. And by the way, there are rules of procedure in federal court and in state court in in respective jurisdictions. If you're in in states, these rules of procedure set forth the time within which people have to respond to lawsuits once they're served. And then the time within which a defendant has to, excuse me, a plaintiff can then do stuff. I mean. There can be a dismissal after a motion to dismiss an amended complaint, blah, 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 blah. And then an appeals process can happen. And so, once again, they're gaming the system to try to run out the proverbial clock. And it's just unfair. And yet, that's how it's been for decades, if not longer. And it's just people are now realizing that is why our system is just so backlogged. That is why. Judges in some places have audits of hundreds of cases because these cases are just languishing because there are kind of like, you know, like mechanisms that are in existence that can help you delay getting to the finish line.
1: Is huh. there anything to make them get to the finish line though, or can they successfully? A judge,
0: a judge could say, I'm not giving you that extension or I'm not giving you that. But then what would you do? You would appeal the judge's denial of your speech. <laughs> if you could not everything is appealable let me be clear but if you could find recourse you would if you if the if the goal is to delay you'll figure out a way of delaying, right okay you'll figure out a way sadly you'll figure out a way thinking I don't have I think I only have one whisk so I'm to wash my whisk or use a fork can I use a fork for my for my um frosting sure you said whisk so I'm being very literal Whitney, I love that.
1: Cause I do spend time focusing on exact words when I am writing a recipe.
0: That was um, your, um, I felt like it was like a very definitive action verb noun you wanted me to use. <laughs> and the reason I say a whisk is oftentimes
1: if you haven't like sifted your confectioner sugar, which technically speaking, we should all do. Cause it's so lumpy. Um, you're going to end up with like little white specks and the whisk helps to break those up. How's it going?
0: It's actually blending nicely, although I think I might add some more lemon juice to mm-hmm. thin it out just a tiny bit. Although I do not like runny glaze. I am not a runny glaze girl. Your glaze will harden no matter what. But you know what? I guess if the cake is cool enough, then it really won't be too runny. Actually, you know what? I take it back. I think I incorporated. Is this enough glaze? Yes. <laughs> mm. That's not the right answer. No, I mean, there's just, the answer is there's never, never enough, never enough. There's never enough glaze. You would be persona non grata in my house. If you came Sorry. over here and uh, said, no, there's no enough I was,
1: glaze cake. <laughs> it, there's always room for more glaze, but you know, I'm the person who would also take this cake and put a sugar, a lemony sugar syrup on it first and then put glaze on it so that it totally you makes your
0: mouth pop. poke holes in it. And we could put lemony sugar drizzled in it. We could actually mm-hmm. maybe do like a rum, right? I could do like a like a rummy kind of thing and make like a yeah. rummy cake kind of thing. Oh, this glaze looks really pretty. People are going to think that I bought this. The cake smells amazing. Mm-hmm. I actually think I need to poke it with my poke toothpick because I want to see if it's see okay. how it looks. Mine looks
1: very nice and golden. I've just opened up my oven and the inside I'm touching it and it's beginning to bounce back and the edges of my cake are beginning to turn a little bit darker brown than I want. So I'm turning my temperature down to 325. But I have to say it is a beautiful. It smells
0: glorious, by the way. What I can show good. you here,
1: when you come back to the screen, I'm going to show you a half-eaten cake, sort of, that I made earlier. Uh-huh. You see here?
0: Okay, so it does, it's not very tall. So that's no. a comfort. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not very tall.
1: You're really making a one-layer cake.
0: Wow. So it's still too wet in the middle. I think it is getting a little brown. So, can I lower it to 325? Am I allowed to do that?
1: Absolutely. That's what I just did. To the folks at home, Katie has a new oven and she's trying to figure out how to use it. And we all know that new ovens can be confusing.
0: Not only can they be confusing, but can I please, in my defense, say they all (laughs) cook differently? So, 325 in my oven is not 325 in your oven. And I'm not just talking like, because you live like in a different place than me. I mean, I've done that like baked in Colorado and I'm like, why is that looking like that? Uh, <laughs> but no, like my, I, I don't know if that's like a legit 325 or not. Don't
1: you know. don't know unless you have a thermometer and that's the best thing you can do for yourself is to buy an oven thermometer. But the other thing is to use your eyes and your nose and your hands, but don't really touch the oven, but touch the cake in the oven because touching the oven is very bad with your fingers. I've learned the hard way. And, Ooh, that's this is nice and I, lemony. <laughs> I should see your face.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so tart. <laughs> oh, in a good way, not in a bad way. In fact, I'm no, adding no, more no. lemon juice.
1: It's so, and the cake is sweet enough to handle the lemon juice you want to add to it. I would say that, you know, when I write a recipe, I'll say, bake these cookies for 13 to 17 minutes. And I give a huge window because I don't know what your oven's like. And I want to make sure that you're paying attention at the end of the cookie baking process.
0: So um, getting back so getting back to the January 6th stuff, I do have an inside scoop for you. Um, please
1: tell me. Oh, thank you.
0: So inside I'm lean- scoop. I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in. Because I just got this information late yesterday. I had a chance to talk to Roger Stone's lawyer yesterday, who oh is um, down here in South Florida. He's a very um, smart, very good lawyer. And I gave him shit. I'm like, you know, your guy taking the fifth. I'm like, what yeah. a crappy optic, right? I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, really? Like that doesn't scream culpability. In fact, I tweeted consciousness of guilt yesterday when it was announced that, ban, excuse me, that uh, Roger Stone was, was gonna plead the fifth. I will tell you, he said something that I, I think is well worth repeating and I'll, I'll share it with you for the first time with anybody and then I'll share it on some other shows I'm gonna be doing. His lawyer, very smartly said let's start with this this is not what his lawyer said but this is a, <laughs> just a basic precept of, of like life if you don't lie then you shouldn't have anything to worry about and that is in a vacuum true right if you tell the truth what is, i'm sure there's a million adages that i could probably pull out off the internet that i probably should know so i could repeat them to my kid but <laughs> uh, but generally if you don't lie if you tell the truth you should be okay right that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, of course, in a vacuum, but his lawyer very smartly told me Roger spoke to Congress before and Roger got indicted for lying to Congress. And then Roger went to trial and Roger got convicted. Right. And then but for Roger getting pardoned by the former guy, he would be spending some time in the federal pen. Right. So Roger, very smartly, is not going to. Sit there and answer questions to Congress. Now, if you haven't done anything wrong, why are you not answering questions? Well, that totally implicates whole other kind of legal and strategic things. But I will say this much to Ms. What Roger is willing to do, which other people that are taking the fifth are not willing to do, and I will give, quote unquote, give Roger credit, whatever that means. To properly invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege, there is a process, mm-hmm. there is a procedure. What you have to do is you have to sit there and they have to Basically, ask the question of you, and you have to invoke it for each and every question. You cannot just say, I'm invoking my fifth amendment privilege, goodbye, have a nice day. Ooh, my cake is ready. You have to actually, the process is legitimately, literally, please state your name. My name is Katie Fang. Where do you live? Upon advice of counsel, I hereby invoke my fifth amendment privilege against self-incrimination. Stuff like that. Where were you on January 5th, 2021, Ms. Fang? Upon advice of counsel, I hereby invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. Ms. Fang, did you fly to Washington, D.C. on January 3rd, 2021? Upon advice of counsel, okay? So my point is, there is like a whole process to invoke those dumb dumb bunnies of Eastman and Clark, which is crazy because they're the lawyers, right? Yeah. They're not even going to go and show up. So, Roger Stone is actually interestingly, he's willing to go to Congress. He's willing to sit there and he's willing to invoke the Fifth Amendment privilege. He's never going to answer the questions, but at least he's willing to show up and do that versus Eastman and Clark, who won't even show up. They like won't even show up. They're just saying, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment privilege. Have a nice day. So, again, uh, limited props, but I will say, legally and intellectually, that is the right way to do it. And mm-hmm. it is his constitutional right. So I want to emphasize that, right? No matter how much I have disdain for certain folks, that is your constitutional right that is precious. It is precious to be able to invoke Fifth Amendment. But as we know, the former guy said, anybody who invokes Fifth Amendment, why
1: would you do that?
0: <laughs> Unless you're guilty. So intriguing, no? Intriguing. But yeah. So now, so now you got the inside scoop on that. So that is the inside scoop. Thank you very
1: much. It's not surprising, but you're right. As much as I think Roger Stone is, oh, it's beautiful. Everybody, Katie's cake is beautiful.
0: It turned out pretty well. Smells good.
1: And it didn't look
0: like it got overly brown. No, it looks perfect. And that's the joy of baking in a glass pan. Well, and I will tell you, I like the edges. Like in brownies, I like the corners. I'm the corners person. The, and I like. I'll, I'll fight course. you for them. I'll fight you really, for the like, corners. There are four of them. We can each have two. Before we, um, like you're a good sharer. You know <laughs> how to share. Do well in I mean, kindergarten. I was just gonna say
1: I did really well in kindergarten. I got all S's, no N's.
0: I Speaking have. Of, I have a note the, from my teacher from kindergarten that said, "Katie needs to learn how to share."
1: But now look at you, incredibly successful. So what does that tell us? <laughs> Okay. Speaking oh. of weasels, cheap Floridian weasel. No, no. There's some, there are a couple in Florida right now. I there's a few of them. Please, yeah. On. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Mark. And Mark. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Marco Rubio. Uh, no, who? I will. I don't want to talk about Marco Rubio. I want to talk about the other, the other M Matt gets. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry guys. Uh, maybe I should make some crashing noises in the background. So we don't, nobody really has to hear this, but I really want to know, like, his a buddy, Joel Greenberg, started talking to people back in May and, and sharing yep. information. And yep. I get that the wheels of justice go slowly. But what's going on?
0: God, you you know, there was a time when the news cycle was so slow that nobody would forget <laughs> about <laughs> stuff like this. And yet I feel like everybody forgot about our friend Joel Greenberg and the fact that he's just talking about Chitty <laughs> Cathy. So Joel Greenberg about a few weeks ago through his lawyer, got an extension till March on his sentencing in federal court in Florida. And it's because he is still offering up a whole lot of information and he's cooperating. Now, clearly he's doing it because he wants to reduce his exposure for his prison sentence, which is significant. But um, I always have to caution people. Yeah, he has implicated Matt Gates in some bad, bad stuff. But he also has a lot of information allegedly to give about other politicians. So, what people seem to think though is this delay in sentencing is some huge indicator that he has this overwhelming amount of dirt on Matt Gates, which maybe he does. I would I would like to to think that. But it could be on, you know, dirty corrupt dog catcher of XX county, right? I mean it it could just be that There are other Republican lawmakers that were implicated, allegedly, again, because nobody's actually been charged. But I would say that as a former prosecutor, I wouldn't be wasting my time if the guy didn't actually deliver the goods, meaning he could say, dog catcher did this, and then say, here's the corroboration. And I go and I look and it corroborates. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty good. So he's incentivized to what I call have found Jesus. And... (laughs) And the prosecutors are incentivized because, hey, if he can help bring down corrupt, dirty people, then the better our community and our society will be. But he is supposed to be sentenced again in March. Matt Gates is not out of the woods yet, despite what he likes to say and despite what his spokespeople like to say. But again, it's that kind of Wizard of Oz thing, right? Like, what's behind the curtain? Like, we don't know until it actually comes time. So I, like I say, I try to temper people's expectations by saying... It could be Matt related. It could not be matte related. Now, what I'd like to think is it's Matt related, but it's also other lawmaker ish related And because they want to save their own hides. They also have Matt stuff. So maybe it's the matte pile on <laughs> and maybe that's where it goes. So now, you I, know, my personal a- opinion on this. So, right. So, you know, what's on my Christmas list and,
1: <sighs> and you just made my present sound even better. I mean, that's great. <laughs>
0: Um, but yeah, so that's what's happening down here for Joel Greenberg. His wife just filed for divorce from him. What an a-hole. So he's got kids and a wife and oh. she just filed for divorce. He's not paying any alimony and no child support. Wow! Well, he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution to the federal government. And he says he has no money, obviously. And so he's not paying alimony or child support. So this woman's trying to get their home sold so that she could actually be able to live and support their children. It's disgusting. The guy's ugh, the guy's horrible.
1: So he's horrible on all levels, I think. Yes. Unless he's on maybe he several likes kittens or something like that. I don't know. Um, but other than that, he seems pretty horrible.
0: Um, and horrible.
1: horrible is also the last thing that I think we'll deal with just before we have to go and eat cake, because we shall let them eat cake, is one of the more challenging trials of this week, or, or one of the most challenging ones that we're watching, is one that's challenging not just because it's really really hard to pronounce her name, but uh, Ms. Maxwell, uh, her
0: first name is Delane, yeah, Delane, Maxwell,
1: yeah. I was uh, reading that it's uh, there's a challenge for. The challenge defending someone like her
0: mm-hmm. because you
1: have to put the um, accusers on
0: the stand. So yeah, what are the challenges in a case like that? So the challenges on the prosecution, because I prosecuted these types of cases, is number one, the immediate thing that people run to is the well, why did you wait so long to report it, which is a very yeah. sadly common kind of attack, I would say, right, on on victims of sexual abuse why'd you wait so long to report it? So this idea of the delay reporting, that that means that your your memory is spotty, that it means you have less of a credibility as a victim, et cetera. Um, And that's clearly what the defense did so far um, in the Maxwell trial. They've been going after their memories. They've been going after the reasons, the incentives, right? You got all this money from the Epstein Compensation Funds yeah, they don't have to give the money back, but clearly you're in this for the money or you're going to write a book about it or you've done this Mm -hmm. or that or whatever about it. But the crux of the Maxwell defense is, and I actually spoke to Ian Maxwell, Delane Maxwell's brother, um, Mm -hmm. just to kind of shore up what I had already known about her case. And it's this idea of she's being tried Epstein by proxy, meaning Epstein's gone. We need to blame someone. And so the Maxwell defense is they're unfairly, targeting Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, what's the problem for Ghislaine Maxwell? Well, there's pictures galore of her and Jeffrey Epstein canoodling or, you know, being together with very famous people. And we've heard testimony so far that she was there on his planes at his private islands at his residences. But more compelling is the fact that she, as a woman, is the one who groomed these victims, that lured them in under the concept that their safety and gender that I am a woman, I would never, right, as a woman, bring you into a den of harm and abuse and and crime. Um, I would never, you know, groom you to do these things. And so it's been a long time, though, in terms of when these incidents happened. And the jury selection process was not a really long one. But, Mm. you know, the jury selection is always critical because you had to find people that didn't really know anything about Epstein or Ghislaine Maxwell, but you also had to find people that haven't had experiences with abuse. And Ian Maxwell told me that Ghislaine said that Jeffrey Epstein was very compartmentalized as a man, that he hid these parts of his life and that he was, you know, a businessman and, and credibly her defense, they say is, He duped so many people. It's not just he duped Ghislaine Maxwell. He duped politicians, presidents, prime ministers, titans of industry got duped by him. If they could get duped, she could get duped. And so that's really the defense. Now, I think that Ghislaine Maxwell has to testify, Marissa, because I don't think it has as much import, even though constitutionally Mm. She has no obligation to testify. She doesn't have to do anything. The burden of proof right. is always on the prosecution. But I do think if you're going to say that you were also the victim at the hands of Jeffrey Epstein, you have to testify if you're Ghislaine Maxwell. You have to take the stand, a la Kyle Rittenhouse, right? You have to take mm-hmm. the stand and say, I was victimized. Like, I w- did not know what was going on. I, you know, only did what I was told, none of which was criminal in nature, Um, that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think it's going to prevail. I think she's going to be convicted, but, um, we'll see. The, the prosecution is wrapping its case in chief in, mm-hmm. um, I think like in a day or two, it, it's a fast okay. trial, a lot faster than
1: we thought it was going to be. It's interesting. I, I mean, it's interesting to have to look at it from their perspective, because I think we spend a little bit too much time, you know, and to understand like just the ways that you can like try and work this, not work the system, but have the system work for you. Right. Because that's exactly.
0: No, you're right. What it's for. How can you use the system to your advantage on both sides? Right. I mean, both sides mm-hmm. are trying to, you know, get a tactical advantage in terms of the litigation. But yeah, so that's where that is. And Elizabeth Holmes just finished testifying in the Theranos trial out in California. And so yeah. I don't know how much more of her defense is going to be put on. But she also testified for days about her also being the victim at the hands of Sonny Balwani, her former partner and boyfriend. So it's been a very mm-hmm. interesting run of, of um, cases the last few weeks in trial of women, you know, mm-hmm. that are taking the position that they were victimized by their um, partners and significant others. So I don't know if that's going to work though, either in the Elizabeth Holmes case or not.
1: Right. right. That's interesting. Interesting tech to take. I really am grateful that you came here today and did so much Explaining and soothing, and also riling up, because I really feel like we should all get ourselves a little riled up for to get more involved in the choice of judges in our local and state. True, true. Um, Here, here. Uh, order in the court. So, next thing we're going to do, everybody, once this podcast is over, is we're going to wait for our cakes to cool. We're going to turn them upside down, and then we're going to slather them in glaze lots and lots of glaze, and then we shall eat them. And I hope you all join us in baking this. And Katie, I thank you so much for all your time and your willingness to bake along with me today.
0: I am thrilled. And thank you for trusting me to go on this journey with you. (laughs) And I will take a picture and send you a final picture of what it looks like. Fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Katie Fang for taking time out of what is an incredibly busy schedule to come bake with me. For the recipe, go to my website, marissarothkopf.com. And remember to subscribe, please and thank you. That's all I want for Christmas. Just subscribe to my newsletter and send it to your friends. Remember to subscribe at marissarothkopf.substack.com. Or go hop over onto my Twitter. And if you can't remember the address, you'll find like a link or 40 of them in my feed. Go buy some butter and I'll see you on my substack. Have a great weekend.